0: Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It is... (laughs) Woohoo! It's great to be with you guys. Uh, If you're new to this church, maybe you don't know this, but I used to be around quite a bit, so I'm not around as much. Maybe that's why there was a woohoo. I have recently transitioned... Uh, from being here in Bayview, primarily out to our lake country location as the teaching pastor out there, and it has been fun it 's been a joy. I do miss you guys. I miss uh, worshiping with you guys this morning has been a treat for me and so uh, it 's pretty awesome to be here, pretty awesome to share god 's word with you. but before we get into this morning 's text with Acts chapter three, um, I just wanted to say happy father 's Day to everybody who 's a dad out there nice job and, and I mean if you just want to happy father 's day to everybody we 'll just blanket it to everybody. Um, I love being a dad. I knew as soon as I found out that I was going to have a baby boy that I would love being a dad. That's almost 11 years ago now. Um, And I knew I would love it. I knew that, like, but I didn't quite understand how much I would love it. It's great. It's amazing. And for those dads out there, like, you guys know what I'm talking about. But there's a huge responsibility that also comes with it. And so this morning, I want to encourage you dads like, to remember the responsibility that, I, that, that we have as dads. So often, I feel like uh, we come to church and uh, we like to, we like to um, squarely place the brunt of the gospel in your family's life on the church or on the leadership of a church. But in reality... The gospel presence in your home, first and foremost, comes from you, Dad. Comes from you, Dad, to lead your house in the ways of truth, in the ways of the Word of God. And I want to share a scripture before we get into the Acts text this morning. And it's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, if you have your Bible and you look at this uh, heading over this section, it's going to say the greatest commandment, okay? And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Verse 6 says, all these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay? All the words on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Essentially, he's saying, at all times you should be proclaiming the gospel at all times you shall be proclaiming the words of God and you should be diligently teaching them to your kids and so dads this morning I want to encourage you man I hope that you are living those words the word of God in your home boldly guys can be weird I got I got too many women in this room not in your heads right now Guys can be strange, kind of reserved creatures. Like, there's certain emotions and certain things that we keep to ourselves because we got to be this strong leader and you got to whatever. Ah, garbage. Stop it. Like, we need to live the word of God boldly and strong in our house, but with tenderness and the love that God, our Father, lavished on us. So we live that in front of our family, not being so private with it all is that I put uh, these words, the, all the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Man, we need to put that word of God in our hearts because out of our hearts, as it says in Psalms, our mouth speaks, our lives are lived out of the work of Jesus Christ and that word being embedded in our, heart, in our hearts. Man, that's how we live every day. So dads, man, get in the word, dig in the word, and teach those words diligently to your children. So That's my encouragement, man, I love being a dad, it's awesome, it's a huge responsibility as you watch kids flourish and especially with young kids, man, when they start to get something or start to do something, man, I'm just like filled with wonder and awe, like oh my gosh, apparently my little baby can say strike, I just learned this morning, (laughs) big baseball fans in our house, I didn't realize that my one-year-old could say strike, that's pretty amazing. But uh, filled with wonder and awe, but I also just remember the weights of the responsibility that I have, that we have as dads. So dads, lead your homes well towards Jesus. Let's read our text this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're starting in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, We just uh, heard a pretty amazing uh, sermon from Peter last chapter, and then uh, last week we discovered a little bit about what the new church devoted themselves to today. We're going to continue on. So turn with me, let's read. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, "I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. rise up and walk exclamation point and he took them by the, he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your text. I thank you for this word. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit to make it alive in our hearts to take this word and to plant it deep within our hearts that it might bear fruit to eternal life. God, fill us with your spirit today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. God, let us, let us experience you in your fullness today by your power, by your word, by your spirit, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Our text starts off this morning saying that they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer that they were attending the temple together. And, and as I was reading this, I was kind of struck by something. Like, Jesus had come, right? And from what I remember, Jesus had come to fulfill the law. Like, he'd fulfill all that. When I think of temple, I think of a lot of different things. I think of everything that happened in the temple as far as temple worship goes. I think of sacrifice. I think of animal blood. I think of law. I think of old covenant. And I'm sitting there going, what? Why now that Christ had come and completely fulfilled the law, you know, tearing that that temple curtain in two, giving us access to God Almighty himself, being the mediator of that new covenant. Remember, we talked all about that a few months ago as we studied through Hebrews. That he completely fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law that temple curtain was torn in two, and we now have access to God himself. But not only that... Not only that, Jesus promised, the Father promised, and Jesus says, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's going to come, and you're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. And, And if you look back through John, as Jesus is talking about the helper, he says, not only will he be with you, he's also going to be in you. So now, right? The, the holy of holies behind the curtain the curtain has been torn the veil is open and now the presence of god not only is with them but it resides in them their body their person is a temple unto the lord probably remember hearing that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 right probably somebody has probably said that to you at one point you remember your body is a temple of the lord it's usually when you're taking a bite of a donut And they're getting all judgy and snotty with you, right? And remember, oh, you sure you want to be doing that? Your body's a temple unto the Lord. Usually it's when we got some other vice going on. Maybe it's it's a smoke, maybe it's this or that, maybe it's drinking, whatever it is. It's like you got to remember your body is a temple of the Lord. And what does that all mean for us? Does it mean that we just are like supposed to be fit and we're supposed to take care of this like broken shell of a body that is breaking down every year? or is it something more is there something more to that our body is a temple unto the lord and i think about all of this temple talk and temple imagery as i've been studying this week the first corinthians 6 passage where it talks about us being a temple of the lord is all about worship it's all about their bodies actually some of the correction and instruction was there like they were joining themselves in sexual immorality like to the point of prostitution as worship and so Paul's looking at that church in Corinth and he's like, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Lord? That your body was meant for worship of God? And like all of my parts then, all of my faculties, my feet, my hands, my tongue, my mouth are all those instruments like we're in the temple. All those instruments of worship, these hands weren't meant just to labor and to work for my own benefit and my own glory, but these hands were made to work to benefit and glorify God in all its ways. My tongue, my tongue was made to proclaim the wonders of God, to testify of the beauty of Jesus Christ, this body, this broken Old man body is a temple of the Lord because it's worship unto him. And so they're going to the temple day by day, as it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Day by day, they attended temple together, breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They still saw fit to attend temple together in prayer and worship. See, these early Jewish Christians, as they attended temple together, probably started to take on new life. It wasn't routed with religion like it was before, but they started to see the true significance in temple service. They started to see the significance, like I said, in those instruments and in those articles, even the furniture. Everything in, in, the, in, in the temple had purpose and pointed to the redemptive work of God, and that was culminated in Jesus Christ. Now they, atten- they attend temple to pray and worship the living God, and it was free from that Uh, that that sting, that stench of legalism that it probably once held. And now there's an excitement and a freedom and an expectation in their worship. It's not just mere religion, but there's an expectation and their communing and their worship of God. We'll talk a little bit more about that expectation in a few moments. But have you noticed something in our text so far, in our study in the book of Acts? The idea of prayer has been talked about a few times. Hi, guys. It's distracting. There you go. I like to look at people. The idea of prayer has been uh, talked about a few times, and, and not just talked about, but I want to note the way it's been talked about. Um, when, when you go through the book of Acts, right, that started off, Jesus basically says, I'm going to send the promise of the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you in power, and you will be my witnesses. And so he says, go wait in Jerusalem, go wait for the promise of the Father. So 120 of them, they go sit in the upper room and they wait. And verse 14 of chapter 1 says that they devoted themselves to prayer. So they're waiting in this upper room and they're praying. They're seeking God. They're up there waiting for this promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit that's going to fill us with power. That we might be witnesses. So they go and they wait and they devote themselves to prayer. And the Holy Spirit comes and tongues of fire descend on them and rest on each man. And they begin to proclaim in other tongues, in other languages, the mighty works of God. I remember reading where it says that people were filled with, with wondrous things. What, what does this mean? Like we hear the mighty works of God proclaimed in our own language. How can this be? Because these are Galileans. And Galileans aren't educated people. They're not well-educated. Uh, They're not well-spoken. They are simple commoners. They're fishermen like Peter. How do they know my language? How can they proclaim the mighty works of God in my own tongue? And it was God's beautiful fulfillment of Joel, Peter says. He goes, what, what was prophesied in Joel? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? You, you, you Jewish Christians remember that? You probably studied that at some point in your life. This is prophesied in Joel. My spirit will be poured out. And then we read last week that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to deep community, and they devoted themselves to prayer. They were committed, devoted. They attended temple together, praising God together, praying together corporately. And awe came upon every soul at the signs and wonders that God was doing in their midst. See, if we are not committed to prayer, if we are not committed doggedly to prayer, devoted to prayer, communing with him, being with him, worshiping him, pursuing intimacy and closeness with our Heavenly Father, we will not experience the power of God to see his miraculous wonders in our lives if we are not doggedly committed to prayer. And even before that, even beyond that, we think of signs and wonders, we think miracles, we think, man, that's next level Christianity stuff, right? That's that's the beyond stuff, that is like, that's out there, there's no way I'm going to see that. Well, stop it, okay? It's not you, it's God, so stop it. Second of all, like, do you realize just for us to overcome sin in our daily life, how deeply we need the Spirit of God in our life to do that? Like, I can't beat it. My flesh will not beat my sin, but thanks be to God that Jesus Christ beat it. Beat it, and I can overcome it daily because of his spirit residing in me. That's the power of God in my life. And so, awe came upon every soul. Are we committed? Are we devoted to prayer personally in your homes do you have that time set aside? We see that they attended temple. It says in our text today that they attended on the ninth hour, at the hour of prayer. There was three times a day that, that the Hebrews would go, that the Jewish people would go to the temple to pray three times. Today's text happens at the ninth time. That's the, the, the more evening one from what I've studied. Okay, they had time set aside. Do you personally at home have time set aside? Maybe there's a front room and a ch- special chair that you like to sit in. Maybe there's a time of journaling or time of uh, coffee and Jesus or whatever that looks like. Do you have time set aside to dig in and to spend time in prayer? To bring your request, to bring your petition, but just to be in the presence of God, to submit and surrender to him again. We must be devoted to prayer, but not just personally, corporately together. We're the church of God. We are those that have been called out of darkness into his glorious light to proclaim the excellencies. Tommy's preaching about that today in in Italy. To proclaim those excellencies. We've been called together to be in community, to devote ourselves to prayer together. 120 people got together in an upper room, and they waited on God. And God sent the promise was faithful to his promise to his people and filled them with, their, with his spirit. And they were able to then be the church. Do you realize that? We cannot be the church. That's a, pretty good, that's a pretty popular phrase around here. You probably hear me say it a few times. We cannot be the church without the spirit of God moving in our hearts and in our lives. We can't. We just can't. We might be able to gather more people. We might be able to have a good show. We might be able to, but without the Spirit of God moving in our hearts and our lives in deep and wondrous ways, we cannot be the church. So on their way to the temple, Peter and John see a man. He's a lame man. His friends carried him to that gate daily, it says. Verse 2, they probably have seen this guy before because that guy was brought to that gate daily by his friends And Peter and John were devoted in prayer. And at the ninth hour, again, they were there devoted in prayer. So they probably walked past this guy many, many times. They were probably familiar with this guy. They probably actually handed this guy money at some point because it was common in that day that they would carry around change. They would carry around money to give as alms, as worship of God. And there was a deep physical need that was so apparent to everybody around him, but there was also, because of that deep need, deep physical need, there was a deep economical need as well. Many of you in this room today, your job probably centers around an office. And your main instrument of work is probably a laptop. And you're probably doing a lot of this today, uh, every day. It doesn't take a whole lot of your faculties. It doesn't take a whole lot of your legs or anything like that. But back then, to work, it was labor. You worked. You needed all your faculties. So if you couldn't move your legs, you probably couldn't work, and you couldn't earn, and you couldn't live. And so there's this deep, deep need on multiple, multiple levels represented here. As we were planting Mercy Hill Church, uh, 11 years ago now? I've had the opportunity to do lots of other jobs. I used to always say that I would do anything to fund my church habit, whatever I had to do. Coffee shops, construction. I worked at a law firm for a little bit. I actually also did real estate. And I learned a lot about real estate. I learned a lot about what uh, dresses up a home, what sells a home fast. I learned about updates and upgrades and, and uh new uh, mechanics, I learned phrases like curb appeal, you know, good coat of paint and some landscaping gives a house some good curb appeal. But there was one aspect of selling homes that was key. There was one thing that was key, and that was location. Location was king. Location, you can't change it. That's where the place is. It was key. And man, this man, this lame beggar, understood location the beautiful gate of the temple. People are coming and going in worship of God. They're feeling benevolent. They're feeling, feeling stirred by the affections of God, and now that affection spills over to their fellow man, and, and giving of alms was, was part of their worship. They would have a pocket full of change, pocket full of money so that they could give alms to the poor. And so he has the perfect location, and he's sitting at this gate day in and day out like he had always had, but today was different. Today was different. Today was a different day. Like I said, Peter and John saw this man probably often. But today was going to be different. As Peter is coming up on this, on this man, he, he senses something. He feels something. It's the Holy Spirit stirring his heart. And it's not just stirring. The Holy Spirit is now in him. Do you remember Peter? Remember reading about Peter in the Gospels? Common fisherman. Jesus calls him, follows him, walks with him every day for about three years. The ministry of Jesus, he's in the inner group. Peter, James, and John, right? Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to pray. He calls those guys together. He's in the the inner circle. He watches Jesus feed thousands. He watches him heal lepers, He watches Jesus raise the dead. And the night that Jesus gets arrested, what happens? Denies him. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You walked with him. Like if if you got the opportunity to walk with Jesus, how awesome do you think your faith would be? To watch and see him raise the dead and to feed thousands and all of that stuff, how awesome do you think our faith would be? And he still had the ability to deny him. But today was different. Today's different. Not just for the beggar, today's different for Peter as well. And what is different? The Holy Spirit of God is living inside of him. The Holy Spirit of God and the power of God is living inside of him. So he comes up on this man and he is stirred. And he says, Look at us. Look at us. Verse 5 says, he fixes his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So the man looks at him, and he's expecting something. And he's expecting money. And because the guy says, look at him, it's probably going to be a pretty decent payday. Because usually you just drop it in the cup as you're going by. He says, look at me. What's interesting is that the Greek word for alms is derived from the root of the Greek word mercy. This guy's been sitting here day in and day out, begging for mercy. Peter comes up on him and he says, look at us. Silver and gold have I none. Verse 6, could you imagine the letdown? (laughs) But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He says, but what I have, I give to you. What did he have? Did he have the power to heal? Maybe, it seems as such, probably, kind of. But it was so much more than that. Not just the power to heal, but it was God himself, the Holy Spirit of God, residing in him. And with that spirit came power. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that we read about in Romans chapter 8 is now dwelling in him and he was bold and full of faith and he had the authority given to him by Jesus. He's now carrying that name and that power to the nations. Jesus his word and his spirit. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. Like we have a need in our lives. We have this, this need in our lives. And and I feel like I go through life constantly in want. Constantly there's something stirring inside me like I don't have this and I don't have that and it's tight this month again to pay the bills and all of that stuff and I feel like I'm constantly at angst because I'm constantly in want. And I have to remember that he's my shepherd, like he's my father, he's the shepherd I shall not want, right? Like, he provides all things, and all things in Jesus, and all things in his word, and all things by the power of his spirit is enough. And he has so, so graciously blessed me with himself. And because of that, I lack nothing. Do you realize that, church? Do you realize if you have Jesus and the power of his spirit, you lack nothing? Don't justify it, don't don't tell me no, but Kevin, you don't understand, but Kevin, I, I, you don't understand this need over here. you don't understand the hurt over here. you don't understand that what I'm going through physically right now, you don't understand all of I, you're right, I, I probably don't, but what I do understand, Jesus is enough. the power in his spirit, the truth in his word, is enough. Peter had no money, he had no silver and gold, but he had everything because the spirit of the living God was dwelling inside of him. Oftentimes, I, when I read a story, I find myself identifying with one of the characters of the story. Even when I'm reading stories to my kids, like all of a sudden I'm like halfway in the story and I'm like, oh, like that's, I'm like projecting myself into this character. It's really kind of weird. And usually it's the hero because I'm full of myself. <laughs> Just being honest. But when I read this story, it's so crazy how I identify with the beggar so well. How I identify with the beggar right here. Uh, in my study this week, I, I discovered something, I didn't, and I didn't realize this, but Martin Luther's, the great reformer, his, some of his last words were this, we are all beggars, this is true. It's reported that there was a piece of scrap paper in his pocket on his deathbed, and those words were written on that scrap paper. We are all beggars, this is true. There's a pastor uh, in India who died in 1970, uh, D.T. Niles, uh, talked about the Christian mission, talked about evangelism this way. He said, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all we are. That's who we are. That's the mission that we have. We're all just beggars, man. And, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that the account written here in Acts chapter 3 about this man being healed is a literal account. There was a physical healing that happened. But so many commentators that I've come across this week wanted to point to the spiritual implication that that beggar has. Like it's a beautiful picture of our spiritual condition, of where we sit before our God. We are spiritual beggars. I am bankrupt spiritually, it actually reminds me of, uh, gosh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in the Sermon on the Mount, we get right off the bat, you get the the Beatitudes. Verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the first one. Blessed are, like, for a long time, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around what that meant. Is he talking about the poor? Is he talking about those that lack things? Those that lack money? Those that are without? Like, what does it mean to actually be poor in spirit? And then I started becoming aware of my own spiritual bankruptcy. That I have nothing to bring to my salvation. I have nothing to add, nothing to attribute. My salvation, my status in God is secure in Christ Jesus. That I have nothing to bring, that I am spiritually bankrupt. I am the poor in spirit. And when I live there, when that's my starting point and I can stay right there, God is able to do things in me that if I didn't have that mindset of being a beggar, if I was self righteous in any nuance at all, there would be this wall up because I wouldn't have that deep need for Him that I actually have. I would see all the other needs and they would all eclipse the biggest, deepest spiritual need that I have, and that's Jesus. I'm broke, but praise be to God, Christ is enough. Nothing else is needed but Jesus. And I so long for him to do exactly what he did in that early church by sending the promise, the Spirit of God himself to reside in me that I might be and do all that he has called me to be and do. And he didn't just promise it for pastors. He promised it for his church. And so church, Jesus is enough for you. He is enough for you. And he is longing to put his spirit deep inside of you, to dwell in you, to reside in you, that the power of God might be put on display, that we might testify to Jesus just like Peter did to the glory of his name. Not for emotion, not for this stirring of hooping and hollering and, you know, I. but I can't help but think that I've... We see wonders and signs. We're going to be struck with awe and just like this lame man was leaping and proclaiming the awesomeness of God. He became, like he's, he just starts worshiping. We all have perceived needs. It's so funny. Like I said, I, I find myself living in want far too often. Fixated on all the stuff around me like it's like a it's like a mask that masks the greater need the deeper need that i have and that's jesus it's like a distraction to my soul manifests itself so many times in such real and aching ways we try to answer that need by satisfying that ache by all the means that we know how naturally relationships money maybe higher position at our job, maybe it's sex, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, like whatever it is, and it's just like Jesus is standing there going, hey, it's me. It's me. I'm the one that you're looking for. I'm the one that you're longing. You know that ache that's inside of you? I put that there. That's me. That ache, that longing that you have, that discontent that dissatisfaction with all the stuff of this world, that longing, that, that, that's me. I put that in you so that you might seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and that I might be enough, that he might be enough, everything. We're all just beggars. Begging for alms, begging for the mercy of God. We long to be made right. We long to be justified. We long to be put in right standing. We want to be restored. We want to be reconciled to God. That relationship with our good Father, reconciled back to him by the work of Jesus Christ. And just as Peter called in the name of Jesus to bring healing and restoration to this man sitting at this gate, today we must call on his name. Today we must call on the name of Jesus because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is no other name by which man is saved but Jesus. That power and the authority that is in his name. Let's read that last little bit of text again this morning. Acts chapter 3 verse 8 says, And leaping up, he stood up, began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This man is healed by the power of God. He's restored by the power of God. And what happens? He becomes a worshiper of Jesus. He's walking and leaping and praising God. And people then see that. That's a testimony of Christ himself. That's a testimony to the mighty works of God. Just like those tongues that were proclaimed on the day of Pentecost. This man's life now becomes that testimony of Jesus. That witness of Jesus. He's walking and leaping and praising God. And they go, I remember that guy. Isn't that the guy that would, the, the beggar? The guy who can't move? The guy who's now leaping and praising God? And they're filled with awe and they're filled with wonder. The testimony of God in our lives, folks, that's what that does. The people look on, the world looks on, and they see God's mighty work in our lives, the authentic move, the Spirit of God, the the authentic restorative power that is in Jesus Christ's name and his Spirit residing in us, filled with wonder and amazement. Last week, the text uh, talks about how the signs and wonders and that, uh, an awe came upon every soul, it says. Some, some texts actually uh, translate that instead of awe, they translate it fear. The fear of God came upon every soul. Next week we're going to get into Peter's second sermon to the church. I can't think of a better way to set the table once again to proclaim Jesus and this mighty display of God's power, the mighty display of God's restorative work in this man's life. And for you and I in this room today, God has big things. Some of it's natural, some of it's physical, some of it you have needs in this this room and God has the power and the ability to restore you today. But some of you, that need is one step deeper, one step deeper than that, and you just need Jesus. You need the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You need the Holy Spirit to baptize you and to reside in you. And you sense it. You feel it. You feel that stirring inside. God is here. His word is sufficient, and he is true. And I got nothing to give you today but Jesus, his word, and his spirit living in me.